You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Here's what's incredible. I understand we don't live under this economy. I understand that. But if you did, and you did everything right, even though it says, if you did it right, it's an aroma pleasing to the Lord, they are still inadequate. You could do it to the letter of the law, and it was inadequate to take away your sin. Have you ever taken the time to imagine what it would be like to be held accountable to the law as described in the book of Leviticus? Thankfully, as believers and followers of Christ, we're no longer bound by the law and have been set free from such obligations. In today's message, Pastor Danny reflects on the offerings as described in Leviticus and the role they played for Israel. In his study, you'll learn that even when following the law to the letter, only the blood of Christ is sufficient for removal of sin. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Leviticus, chapter 7, as he begins his message, Offerings That Please the Lord. It is a tremendous book if you really understand it because it it helps us to understand what God has done for us through the sacrifice of his son Jesus Christ. Uh, It gives us practical instruction on how to walk in obedience as well as offer sacrifices uh, that are pleasing to the Lord. Now I'm just going to read you from a a book that I have called uh, Talk Through the Bible. And uh, he lays out a pretty good summary of Leviticus. Leviticus focuses on the worship and walk of the nation of God. In Exodus, Israel was redeemed and established as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Leviticus shows how God's people are to fulfill their priestly calling. They have been led out of bondage and into the sanctuary of God. Now they must move on from redemption to service, from deliverance to dedication. I think that's a pretty good summary. Now, uh, with that said, 1 Peter, and go ahead and say this with me, help keep you awake, all right? You ready? Uh, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So this is New Testament. We are a priesthood. We are a holy nation, the church. Of Jesus Christ. That's not just metaphoric, that's real. I mean, we really are. Somebody said Leviticus is to Exodus what the epistles are to the Gospels. I think that's a good statement. In Exodus, you have God's pardon, God's redemption. In Leviticus, you have emphasis on purity. Now that you've been redeemed, 
Here's how you can live and walk in a way to please the Lord. In Exodus, you have God's approach to man. Remember, God's the one that initiated the redemption. He spoke to Moses, said, I've heard my people and their slavery and their suffering, and I want to redeem them. And I'm sending you to be my representative. In Leviticus, it's man's approach to God. God said, okay, now that I've redeemed you, uh, you want to please me, here's, here's the instructions. In Exodus, you have salvation. In Leviticus, you have, and it's a big word, sanctification. Sanctification just means a setting apart uh, for God's purposes. I like what somebody else said, too, um, because the, the one person divided the book, somebody divided the book into two sections, and it can be divided very uh, easily into two sections. Uh, chapters 1 through 17 deal with sacrifice, and chapters 18 through 27 deal with sanctification. Somebody said it, that God took only one night to get Israel out of Egypt, but 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. Now, we're looking at highlights, seven chapters tonight, and I'm very thankful I'm not going to read all the chapters. Go to chapter seven, though, and get down to verse 37, and this is a good starting place. Verse 37, chapter seven, these then are the regulations for the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering, and the ordination offering, or the ordination offering and the fellowship offering offering, which the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai on the day he commanded the Israelites to bring their offerings to the Lord in the desert of Sinai. So let's look at the offerings just for a minute. Go back to Leviticus chapter one and verse one. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering, so chapter one is about the burnt offering. If it's a burnt offering from the herd, he's to offer a male without defect. I underline that, very important, without defect. He must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. Note verse four, he's to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it'll be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. And you'll see that in other offerings as well. You put your hand on the offering, the idea is this animal is sacrificed on your behalf. The end of verse nine, if it's done properly, says it's an aroma when the sacrifice goes up, pleasing to the Lord. Verse 10, we're told again, make sure you offer what you're offering, that it's an animal without defect. Very important. And then the end of verse 13, if you do, if you do it right, it's an aroma pleasing to the Lord. One last one, the end of the chapter, end of verse 17, if you do it right, it's an aroma pleasing to the Lord. We got it, right? Without defect, do it right, it'll be pleasing to the Lord. Now, just a little note. Malachi, and you're welcome to turn there. I'm just gonna go there briefly. It's the last book in the Old Testament, so that should help you find it. Malachi 
chapter 1, the prophet Malachi rebukes the Israelites for failing to do exactly what I just read in Leviticus chapter 1, to bring an offering and bring one without defect. Verse 8, Malachi chapter 1, when you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor, exclamation point. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? You jump down to the end of verse 13 of Malachi chapter 1. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I'm a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Deuteronomy 15, 21, in the law, that one verse says very specifically, don't bring an animal to offer to the Lord that has any defect. So I think we got the point. No defect. Then you go to Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1. When someone brings a grain offering, so this whole chapter is about the grain offering to the Lord, his offering is to be a fine flour. He's to pour oil on it, put incense on it, take it to Aaron's sons, the priest. The priest shall take a handful of the fine flour and oil together with all the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, an offering made by fire. Here it is again, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Jump down to verse 5. If you bring a grain offering baked in an oven, it is to consist of fine flour, cakes made without yeast. Very important. Without yeast. Verse 13, same chapter. Season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all your offerings. So, grain offering, no yeast, always add salt. Oh, I know, this is exciting stuff. I know how excited you are. I know, I understand. <laughs> Hang on. Chapter three is the fellowship offering. Verse one, if someone's offering is a fellowship offering and he offers an animal from the herd, whether male or female, he's to present before the Lord an animal without defect. And again, he's to lay his hand on the head of his offering, slaughter it at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood against the altar on all sides. From the fellowship offering, he's to bring a sacrifice made to the Lord by fire. The end of verse 5, Leviticus 3, if you do it right, it's an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Verse 12. If his offering is a goat, he's to prepare it before the Lord. He's to lay his hand on its head, slaughter it in front of the tent of meeting. The end of verse 16, you do it right, it's a pleasing aroma. And notice at the end of verse 16, all the fat is the Lord's. He gets the fat. Why? That's where the flavor is. And then the last part of verse 17, chapter 3, you must not eat any fat or any blood because the life of the animal is in the blood. Chapter four, the sin offering. Let's read several verses here. Verse one, 
The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands. So you didn't do it intentionally, but you're still guilty. If the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering. Verse four, he's to present the bull at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. He's to lay his hand on its head and slaughter it before the Lord. Verse 13, if the whole Israelite community sins unintentionally, does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though the community is unaware of the matter, they're guilty. Ignorance is no excuse. Verse 14, when they become aware of the sin they committed, the assembly must bring a young bull as a sin offering, present it uh, before the tent of meeting. The elders of the community are to lay their hands on the bull's head before the Lord, and the bull shall be slaughtered before the Lord. Verse 22, when a leader sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the commands of the Lord his God, he's guilty. Ignorance, no excuse. Verse 27, if a member of the community sins unintentionally, does what is forbidden, he's guilty. I think God's stressing a point. Verse 32, same chapter. If he brings a lamb as his sin offering, he's to bring a female without defect. He's to lay his hand on his head and slaughter it for a sin offering at the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. And then chapter 5, the guilt offering. Verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, when a person commits a violation, sins unintentionally in regard to any of the Lord's holy things, he's to bring to the Lord as a penalty a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value in silver, according to the sanctuary shekel, it's a guilt offering. Verse 17, if a person sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though he does not know it, he's guilty and will be held responsible. He's to bring to the priest as a guilt offering a ram from the flock, one without defect. It's a guilt offering. I know you're going to be in Leviticus again tomorrow for your devotions, aren't you? Here's what's incredible. I understand we don't live under this economy. I understand that. But if you did, and you did everything right, even though it says, if you did it right, it's an aroma pleasing to the Lord, they are still inadequate. You could do it to the letter of the law, and it was inadequate to take away your sin. Here's what Hebrews tells us, and a lot of Hebrews is explaining to us the new covenant in light of the old covenant, and that a lot of, well, all of the things related to the tabernacle and the worship of the tabernacle, they are types. They are shadows. That's what the New Testament tells us. Hebrews says, for example, day, every, day after day, every priest under this economy, the Old Testament economy, stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So the priest is... Uh, serving us back in the Old Testament economy, we bring uh, the burnt offering. We bring uh, from the herd of the flock. We bring an animal without defect. And then we have to come back and bring another animal. And then another animal. We do the grain offering. Whatever offering it is, that priest is busy because people are coming uh, repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly bringing their sacrifices, and yet none of them would ever take away their sin. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. When we get to Leviticus 16, we'll spend one evening on Leviticus 16. And Leviticus 16 is all about what's called the Day of Atonement. Let me just clue you in, even though we're not going to study it tonight. The Day of Atonement is a one-day One for all, all for one sacrifice, even though you've offered all the other sacrifices under the Old Testament law, and you may have done them all correctly, but now there's a one day, day of atonement, one for all, all for one sacrifice that's meant to atone for the whole nation. That's specifically what the writer of Hebrews is referring to when he says it's an annual reminder of sins. The idea is you've done all the other sacrifices and you've done them according to the letter of the law. And then you have the day of atonement and then you go back into doing the sacrifices the rest of the year and you come back a year later and guess what? You're doing another day of atonement sacrifice. And it just goes on and on and on. All of the sacrifices are fulfilled in Christ. Turn with me. Turn with me. Take a quick look. Hebrews chapter 10. We want to read several verses. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5. And this is right after. Well, we might want to read up to it. So let's go back to verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? Good question. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Then he says, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said... Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, O God. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them in regard to taking away sin, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am. I've come to do your will. He sets aside the first covenant to establish the second, the new covenant. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's good stuff. That's tremendous. I don't know if we really appreciate all that God has done for us in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now let's flip the coin. Because everything is in Christ, and all of the sacrifices are fulfilled in Christ, we go back now, flip the coin over, and there are tremendous practical lessons in these sacrifices. Tremendous practical lessons. The burnt offering... The burnt offering was not to be eaten. The burnt offering was not to be shared. The burnt offering, you take the whole animal on the altar. And the burnt offering 
represents wholehearted devotion. Now, Christ ultimately fulfilled all the sacrifices, and of course, nobody was more wholly devoted than he was. And he's the author and perfecter of our faith. We're following him. That's why Romans chapter 12, verse one says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, what he's done for us, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. New Testament believer, we don't come bring a physical animal. That's Old Covenant. That's Old Testament. And even if we did, it doesn't really do us any good. But now that Christ has offered himself, in view of the mercy of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, this is our spiritual act of worship. Another translation says, this is your reasonable act of worship. It's interesting you go back to Leviticus chapter 6. I don't want us to miss this, and then we're going to move on to the next one. But Leviticus chapter 6, the end of verse 9. For the altar, for the burnt offering. It says the burnt offering, the middle of verse 8, is to remain on the altar uh, hard throughout the night till morning, and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. You go to the end of verse 13. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. A third time. Actually, that was the third time. The end of verse, or verse 12. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. So three times in the chapter, God says, make sure that the altar uh, where the burnt offering is to be offered, the fire never goes out. Why would God do that? Why would God say, never let the fire go out for the offering, uh, for the altar of burnt offering? Because he wants us at any moment, at any time, day or night, to be able to say, I offer myself. I offer myself to you. He invites people to come, lay your life down for him because he laid his life down for you. Then there's the grain offering. And the grain offering really has several applications. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3 says that man does not live by bread alone. Now, sometimes we got to not forget, while the emphasis of that is man does not live by, by bread alone, but on every word, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay? And so the emphasis is the word of God is more important. But don't miss that it doesn't say bread is unimportant. Man does not live on bread alone. The grain, that's what they made the bread from. It represents that which sustains my life. Grain under this Old Testament economy and in this culture was like a paycheck. Now, I'm not going to get off on this, but listen, uh, the practical translation New Testament of the grain offering would be that which sustains my life. My paycheck, I buy my bread, my food. Are you with me? That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, that the offering he received from the Philippian church was an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to the Lord. That physical offering 
was pleasing to the Lord. Thanks for joining Pastor Danny today for his message in Leviticus. There's a lot to learn from this Old Testament book of the law. God gave these rules and regulations to the Israelites for a reason. Each one of them points you to who God is and how he desires his followers to stand out from the rest of the crowd. Leviticus gives you a picture of the care that God has for his creation and invites you into a new way of living. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor Danny's teachings from this book, or if you'd like to explore other series from The Living Word, we invite you to visit ccfstpete.church. While you're there, you can also learn about the church where these teachings come from, Calvary Chapel Fellowship. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, come join us for church this weekend. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Details and directions are at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. If you're not able to join us in person just yet, you can still tune in via our live stream. Find a link at our website. As our time with you comes to an end today, we want you to know that we're praying for you. Is there anything specific we could be lifting up to the Lord? Please email us to let us know. Info at ccfstpete.church. That's all we have for now. Join us next time for more from Leviticus right here on The Living Word.